0: You're listening to Everything's Totally Fine. I'm Allie Hawk, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we feature people who share stories about their lives. These aren't just any stories. They're the worst moments of their lives. So join us to hear about the times we pretend everything's totally fine. Our guest this week is the only person who has sung to me after an interview. He's a poet, a lyricist, a novelist, and a playwright. Robert Patrick has published over 60 plays in his life and was a pioneer for gay theater. It was my great pleasure to have him on the show.
1: Oh my, a famous and brilliant photographer named Robert Giard. In the middle 80s was doing a huge project photographing gay writers in their homes Uh, and he came to me and I said well I don't have a home right now I'm sleeping in the light booth of this theater he said well everybody else has let me in their homes I said you don't understand I don't have a home I'm sleeping in the light booth of this theater because I have no home in fact, I've been choosing the theaters where I do shows by how comfortable their light booths are no because I way. have to sleep in them.
0: For how many years? Oh, It's only a
1: matter of months, but okay. I, I, was, I was homeless.
0: So, but, so you and, were homeless for a matter of months?
1: Yeah, and he, he didn't believe it. He just uh, uh, finally begrudgingly photographed me sitting in the front row of seats in the theater. He wouldn't photograph me in the light booth and I had just finished a book and I had the manuscript of it clutched to me and it's an okay photo but I don't think they ever show it when they have frequent exhibitions of this series of photos and then um, a friend of mine from England, Betty Blue Lips, a drag act came to New York and um, he was going to photograph Betty and Betty asked to be photographed with me so he took a photo of me and Betty in a restaurant called Phoebe's, which was the Sardi's of off-off-Broadway.
0: You'll hear more about Sardi's in a minute. Okay. It was the
1: restaurant where all the off-off-Broadway people hung out. And uh, after he'd taken it, I said, well, you've, you got your wish. He said, what do you mean? I said, Phoebe's is my real home. <laughs> he didn't laugh. He, he, I don't think he ever believed. He, he, he went to his death probably thinking I had not wanted him in my home.
0: Is that your only period of homelessness that you've had?
1: Well, define homelessness. I I lived with everybody, and everybody lived with me. Rents used to be cheap. Uh, Our lives off our property meant nothing to us, only the work we were doing. So it was casually like, I lost my apartment. Can I live with you for a while? And people say, sure, or vice versa, you know.
0: Were you ever disturbed?
1: I did have to pull some pretty deceptive maneuvers in one theater because nobody was supposed to be in the building after dark. So I'd uh, find ways to fake coming in and leaving when I didn't really leave. In 1975, I had a Broadway play, and all my off-off-Broadway friends came up to see it and just walked away. Unable to believe that silly old Bob was a Broadway playwright, and one.
0: So spin. so yes, yeah, so you're saying you had a you had a play on Broadway. Yes. Right. that's... should I start over? No, but I haven't met someone who has had a play on Broadway. It was
1: Forty years ago, darling.
0: This is how Bob talks about himself, and if you can ignore the fact that I didn't do basic research about my guest before conducting the interview, uh, I think a remarkable thing here is the difference between how Bob talks about himself and the sheer impressiveness of his work. Also, I wasn't the only person who was surprised.
1: One especially uh, bewildered friend came to a matinee, and as we came out of the theater, she said, Bob, are you really famous now? And I thought I'd show her. I said, let me buy you lunch at Sardi's, which was the watering place of Broadway, famed in song and story. She said, okay. And we walked in, and they were full. And I started to turn away, but the Mater d' came running through the crowd. I said, no, 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 please, come, come. For you, always a table. And my friend looked at me in awe, and the Mater d' snapped his fingers at the waiter and said, here, a table for Mr. Stoppard.
0: <laughs> Did you take the table?
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I lost my godlike status with my friends.
0: So, I like having input into the clothes I'm going to wear. And there's this athletic apparel company that lets you go on their website and vote for what you want the style of your clothing to look like. And if it wins, then it gets made. They already have an awesome lineup of a bunch of other athletic apparel. And if you use a promo code ETFSHOW, you'll get 10% off your order and free shipping. That's URsportswear.com. All right. This, this...
1: (laughs) My play, Kennedy's Children, was a huge hit in London in the back room of a bar in Islington, The King's Head. There was a bar up front and in the back, a showroom.
0: And what year did this... This
1: was 1975. They, the theater was about to go bankrupt... And they thought nobody would like my play, but they thought they might as well close with a play they liked. So they actually went to the expense of flying me over to England. And they let me sleep in a room that they used to store coal and potatoes in. And to earn my keep, they let me tin bar. Wow. And they put my show on in the back. It was an enormous overnight hit. The morning after it opened, I signed contracts for its translation into 60 languages. I was in all the papers. I was the Cinderella you know, sleeping in a cold bin, but with an international hit. And it, um, I, I, I may have let it go to my head a little. Among the people, oh, they let me be doorman at the theater. That seems to be maybe my natural role in any theater I go to. So I was doorman, and the, the play was in two acts. So
0: one night... Director Lindsay Anderson and playwright John Osborne came.
1: And they sat at a table together, and they laughed and jeered and talked and smoked cigars and ordered drinks during the first act and were a great disturbance. And I went on and told the manager of the theater, and he said, oh, that's, that's Osborne and Anderson. They do that everywhere. They're famous teams, they're sort of beloved pests. Well, I didn't beloved them. They were interrupting my show, and people had paid to see my show. Mm-hmm. So at intermission, I opened the doors and let everybody out, and I let everybody else back in for the second act, and I closed the doors on Messrs. Anderson and Osborne. And this had never been done to them before, and they were irate. You know, they thought they had the right to, to be disturbances, and I kicked them out of the theater. Mm-hmm. Well, that would have been that. But sometime later, I was in Vienna on my way to Israel in hopes of seeing what a real war looked like when I got a phone call from the greatest actor in the English-speaking world, Sir John Gielgud, saying that he wished to play in my play Judas. Sir John Gielgud doing my play. So he asked if I would mind dropping by his dressing room to discuss uh, arranging an American tour. Well, forget Israel. I flew right back to London, went to his dressing room. It was a glowing half hour with him as we talked about a possible producer. We agreed mm-hmm. on the producer in New York for an American tour, ending in New York and then going to London. Neither was having any doubt to play with him and it would be a tremendous hit. So um, I went to uh, America to discuss it with the producer Richard Barr and then we suddenly got word that Sir John was unavailable because he had taken a movie called Arthur for which he got an Oscar. Only after his death, when his diaries were published, did we learn that he had taken the play to the great director, Lindsay Anderson, who had apparently gotten his revenge on me for kicking him out of the second act of Kennedy's Children by telling Sir John not to do the play.
0: Oh my gosh. So do you regret?
1: Yes. I would have suffered any humiliation to have Sir John Gilgood do my play.
0: So UR Sportswear is about to come out with an awesome new pair of shorts for rock climbing, and they're aptly named the Just Rock version Two. And you can get those shorts when they come out for 10% off if you use the promo code ETFSHOW when you check out. One time, Robert was invited to speak at a conference in Nice, France. Once he got there, he started to feel like he was in over his head.
1: And I realized I was in the wrong place because I'm no scholar and no academic and no authority. I just happened to be there when gay theater happened.
0: And what's the difference between theater and gay theater?
1: Well, uh, we were writing plays with serious gay subject matter, with gay characters presented as human beings rather than just as helpless victims or hideous villains or silly hairdressers.
0: One of these such plays Robert wrote in the late 60s. It was called Mercy Drop, and it dealt with issues like the draft
1: and the war and uh, sex gender identity and the audience just applauded their hands off and came back again and again. And It was just the, the, the underground smash of that year. Well, 10 years later, I was working with a really terrific troupe that had really great people in it mm-hmm. for Mercy Drop and I said, let's, let's revive this. And I put it on and it was, if anything, a better production. And it made no sense at all.
0: The issues that the writers and performers had tapped into ten years earlier no longer applied. So the references fell flat.
1: And ironically, I and this company called The Fourth E had been doing shows, each more successful than the last. So for this, we drew full houses and standing room. But it happened to be in the second floor theater of a complex that had two... And the show downstairs started with a requiem ritual thing. And they asked that we not have applause after my show upstairs because the the sound would would ruin theirs. Well, they really didn't need to ask. (laughs) Nobody wanted to applaud anyway. And how? As the audience was leaving, I said, please be quiet. There's a play downstairs. And one person, as they walked by, said, that's good because there sure wasn't one up here.
0: At what moment did you realize it wasn't going to work?
1: When it didn't get the laughs at the right spot. You know, when the audience is sitting there and the actors are doing a really good job hitting the punchlines and doing the bills for the laughs, and nobody laughs.
0: And how, how many weeks had you been preparing for it?
1: Oh, like three weeks rehearsal, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and two weeks of dead silence from the
0: audience. (laughs) Oh, you still had to complete the show. Well,
1: sure, it was so (laughs) loud.
0: Robert Patrick was really great to talk to, and I'd like to wrap up our conversation with this description of a play that he wrote that I think is just beautiful.
1: The 12 astrological signs are dancing in a circle in perfect harmony in heaven, and they start quarreling about who's leading. They're dancing in a circle, but they quarrel about who's leading, And it becomes a desert island play as each sign stumbles onto the island and each contributes its particular faults and virtues to the slow growth of civilization. That's our show.
0: The music by Danny Giannino. And art by Jen Hamilton. Special thanks this week to UR Sportswear. Go to ursportswear.com and use the code ETFSHOW. Thanks for listening.